this book? What are we doing here? What's the message of Jesus? And I'm thinking this, this heavy thought, you know, I'm just eating my coffee. You guys ever eat your coffee? Strong, you know, strong. And Adam texts me, he's like, hey, me, me and Chad are going to Nashville. And my response was this, I said, cool, pray about it. And then I started suggesting people, I said, would you think about taking these guys? Just take them. Boots on the ground. It's gonna change their life. Now, we're not all gonna be able to go to Nashville or, or we're not all gonna be able to go to Nigeria. But y'all got shoes on, don't you? Better have shoes on. The <laughs> Bible says that a Christian, his boots, his shoes are beautiful. They're the feet of the preparation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That a Christian, where a Christian goes, what he does, where, where he stands, the whole idea, the foundation of what we're doing is because Jesus is real, and so, so we serve and we love, and that, that's why you exist, because Jesus is real as a Christian. So you can then walk and then live and then found yourself, and everything you do is built out of that truth. This is why we study God's word. But if you're like me, you're a mere mortal. You forget sometimes. You ever forget? You ever wake up sometimes and you forget all the good things you've ever known? That was for me yesterday, Saturday. Not all the good things, but most of them. And so I woke up Saturday, and I had a busy week. I taught through the entire book of Acts all day Tuesday, all day Wednesday, all day Thursday. I taught through 13 chapters of the book of Acts in one day. New record, man. It was cool. <laughs> Got home at 9 p.m., woke up the next day on Friday and did some honeydews projects, worked all day outside my comfort zone making, you know, stuff. And then I woke up Saturday, and I just was in a bad, this is yesterday, I woke up in a bad mood. So I made my coffee, it didn't taste right, but I finished it, I'm not a baby. <laughs> and, and so I, I was in a bad mood, so here, it's a true story. So, so I was like, I'm gonna read the Bible. You know, so I read Hebrews five and six. And by the time I was done with Hebrews five and six, I was even more grouchy, just being honest. So I opened up my devotional, uh, Paul Tripp, you know, if you don't have his devotional, it's the best. Paul Tripp's, I, I went through Paul Tripp's March 7th devotional, you know, and, and in it he was talking about sin. It was so good, so good. He said, sin, when we commit sin, it's not, we can't blame it on anybody but ourselves. But we're such good wordsmiths. When we sin, we're like, well, if they wouldn't, I wouldn't have, and if they didn't. And he listed all these little examples. And one of them was even the grouchy dad. <laughs> and I was like, Paul, you don't know me. And I shut the book, you know. <laughs> Paul. I'm not kidding, grouchy dad. He said when a dad's grouchy to his kids, he wants to say, well, it's these kids, you know, and the reality, it's the sin and selfishness and impatience within that grouchy dad, you know, and I threw the book across the room. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I finished the book, and I was more grouchy. True story. Just, you know, and the kids were there, just real close proximity. That made me grouchy, you know, and I'm just being honest. I had stuff to do that day at a memorial at one and sermons to prepare. And I was getting text messages from people, heavy duty stuff, just get, just get pulled on. Here's what I did next I turned to Revelation 15 and 16. And I'm not messing with you. This is where we're at today. I looked at it, <laughs> and it all lined up. Oh, yeah, everything. It all lined up, it all made sense. Just, I just glanced, I was like, oh, that's what's going on. I forgot. Because the book of Revelation, chapters 15 and 16 specifically, and chapters six through 19 are prophetic in nature, that they're the future. It hasn't happened yet. Most of the Bible, when we study it, when you study the gospels or the epistles, it's all history. It's like, hey, this already happened, learn from it, okay? Learn from somebody else's trials and triumphs. Learn, that's cool, it's cool stuff. Then there are prophetical verses and prophecies that say, this is what's gonna happen. And this 15 and 16 is a promise from God about what he's gonna do, and it was given originally to John, so John could get encouraged. John had grouchy days too. Man, they boiled him in oil alive, didn't kill him. Probably wished it would have, you know what I'm saying? Like, you guys blew it. Do it, you know? <laughs> he suffered. And so God gave him the revelation of Jesus Christ. And in chapters two and three, there's instructions for the church. Here's what you're to do while you're the church, while you're on planet Earth. Don't get it twisted. Chapters four and five, listen. Show what I believe is the rapture of the church. We're in chapter four on the Lord's day. John's in the spirit and he hears a voice. Come up here. And he's instantly in heaven. And he sees the church. 
And you never see the church again on planet Earth. Chapter six, you never see the church mentioned. They're not there. They're in heaven. And then chapters 6 through 19 unfold. And the seal judgments are poured out. And the trumpet judgments. And then finally in today's text, the bowl judgments. And as John would receive this, and as I saw that, something lined up like a good chiropractic adjustment. All right. And it reminded me instantly of Psalm 73. Psalm 73, one of my favorite go-to psalms of reference. In Psalm 73, the psalmist is observing the world. And he says, man, everything's out of control. The rich are getting more toilet paper and the poor have no toilet paper, you know. It's, read, read it. It's imbalanced. Everything's going wrong. He, and, he, and he gets to this point in Psalm 73 where he's like, it's too much. It's too much until, he says, I went into the house of the Lord and I was reminded of, listen, specifically, their end. The evil in the world, the injustice, the chaos. I was reminded of their end. You could also switch out that noun and say, the end. Oh, the end, oh. Oh, because sometimes when you forget the end, you're stuck in the middle, man, you get weird. Your vision's not big enough. You're like this, like, I can't see. I'm just, I can't see. And you're like, oh, there's more. The end, in, in chapter 15 and 16, are God's promise to take care of everything that's wrong. And because we know God's gonna be faithful in the end, we can trust him to be faithful in the middle. Even when it looks like he's not working, he's always working. He never stops working. He's always working. He's still working. He's, he's here now among us. Yesterday, man, I had to go through this, this process. And I share all that with you guys because maybe you're just like me and you forget. And I taught you some big words last week, the big words I taught you that I want you to know because I really believe the Lord's growing our church. I think we're at that stage now. I know he's growing me. I can tell because my beard's more gray every single day. <laughs> People tell me it's a good thing, and I just believe them. And, and the Lord's growing us. In, in the three words I gave you last week, I'm going to give you those three words again and two more words to add to them. The first word is theology, which is a study of God. Okay, you just got to know who God is. This is what we do. Everyone's a theologian. Every single person is a theologian. Doesn't mean you're a good one or even an accurate one. Everyone has an opinion, a conclusion about who God is. A friend of mine recently was at a wedding in a lady was performing the wedding in Yahats. And my friend went up to her afterwards and she didn't mention God during the wedding at all and he told me the whole story. So he was kind of, didn't honor God at all. And so he went up to her and made reference to the beautiful day. Man, isn't it so beautiful? God has given us such a great day. And this woman responded to him, yes, she has. <laughs> and my friend bit his tongue and walked away. <sighs> did, you, did you catch what happened? Her theology had led her to believe that God is a woman. That's just work, you know? And there's, anyways, we'll move on. Bad theology. We, we don't want to be dum-dums and have bad theology. Everyone is a theologian. Everyone has a conclusion about God. Well, I think it's this, I think it's that, you know? You know? I was just teaching through the book of Acts, and at one point, the early church is accused of being drunk. Acts chapter two, because they're moving in the spirit. And some Pharisees are like, oh, they're all drunk. And Peter says, <clears throat> no, we're not. It's 9 a.m. That's not, that's not, that does happen, but not here, you know. <laughs> and then he says something crazy. He says, this is that, which was spoken of by Joel the prophet. And he quotes Joel 2.28. And he has a this for a that. He has a verse for what's going on. He has a theology, an understanding. And I always tell my students, I say, look, if you have a this, you better have a that. Some people say, well, I believe this. Well, where's your that? Because there's people, I've met people over the years, they believe this, so I believe, I believe this, and I just where's your that? Where's your, do you have a verse for that, or did you just come up with that? I love meeting with people in love that are cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. <laughs> I love them. And I just say, what do you believe? And they begin to talk, and I'm like, whoa. What else? Tell me some more stuff. You know, and they just keep talking, and pretty soon it's, it's like, it's just chaos. It's like a ball of yarn. And they see it too, I'm like, wow, you believe that? Who taught you that? And they're like, oh, I just made it up one day. <laughs> and and, I, and I'm, I'm sorry if I'm being offensive in any way, but I, guys, you can't just make stuff up. You gotta have a this for that. You better be a good theologian. 
And this is our goal. We want to be good. Because a good theologian will lead to then an orthodox life. Orthodox just means you know what you believe. How do you know what you believe? Because I studied. That's why we're at Bible study today. I'm not here just to tell stories and make you guys laugh. We're here to study God's word so we know what it says so that way we can have an orthodox life which then leads to a doxology. Doxology, I had someone text me during their life group like, what's doxology mean again? I told you, you know, ah, we're talking about it. I don't know what it means. Doxology is a response to what you believe based on what you've studied. You studied it, found out some truth. So you built a foundation. This is the truth. No matter what the temperature outside, no matter what the virus says, no matter what's going on, I've got a foundation because I studied some stuff. It can't stop there. It has to then lead to a doxology, which means a response. I'm either gonna sing, I'm gonna serve, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna abstain, I'm gonna partake in whatever it is that's right, or, or I'm gonna do, I'm gonna be different. If you've ever seen somebody raise up their hands during worship, it's because that's their doxology based on their conclusion because they studied God and they know God is good, therefore I'm gonna work, it's time to worship, oh, not hard to do. For me, it's not hard to worship God, just so you guys know. You know why? Because I've studied him, and I believe him. That's enough. He said it. I believe it. That settles it. It's time to worship. Not everyone expresses worship with raised hands. That's fine if you don't. Okay? But when it comes time to prayer, repentance, serving, giving, any, for me, it's not that hard because I know it's the right thing to do no matter what I feel. Two more words, and we're moving on. This is why we didn't finish chapter 16 today. The third and fourth word, the third word, fourth word, the fourth word, before we get to the fifth word, the fourth, fourth, fourth word is idolatry. Idolatry. And I want you guys to really wrestle with this. Because if you don't have a good theology, then you don't have a good orthodoxy. And you try and attempt to have a doxology without those two things, it will actually just be idolatry. Let me unpack that. If you worship God and serve God but don't know God, you're just an idolater. Trip out. You're worshiping because it's, what, it's fun to worship. You come to church because, man, we have great coffee. You know, because the parking is amazing. Because the bathrooms are stellar. I'm just kidding. None of those reasons apply here. You know, but, but the coffee does. If you worship God without knowing him, just tuck this away and chew on it all week. It's actually just idolatry. You're actually just worshiping worship or you're worshiping fellowship or you're worshiping a club, a church. It's not really a knowledge-based response. It's just kind of a, oh what, oh, what are we doing? Oh, cool. Oh, yeah, we're doing something. And you're swept. And here's the problem. If you're, into, if you're an idolater, that is, you don't have roots that go down into actual substance, then when things get hard, and they will, you'll then go to our fourth and final word, you will become apostate. You'll leave. Why would you stay when it's not as awesome as it used to be? Why would you keep going? You didn't, you didn't figure God out. You didn't know anything. It was just fun for a minute. Man, that's idol. Where it's easy to worship idols that give you pleasure in that moment. Woo! And then all of a sudden, when that pleasure is gone, what do you do? You bounce out, become apostate. John, the writer here, he wrote in his epistles, those who left us were never of us. They were never saved. And here's why this is so important, family. Because I wish I could give you a magic stick that would just keep the coronavirus at bay. That would keep divorce at bay in your life that would keep disease at bay. I wish I could just give you just, Jesus said the opposite. Jesus said, oh, yeah, in this world, you're going to suffer tribulations. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And if you have good theology, you know who he is. God is good and life is tough. That's good theology. Don't confuse the two. You believe that. That's your foundation. It leads to a lifestyle, things you do and things you don't do. You're not an idolater. And therefore, when life gets hard and it's not fun anymore and your marriage isn't fun anymore and serving God isn't fun anymore and you're just a grouch, you're not gonna fall off into apostasy. Instead, you're gonna look back at the foundation. I remember when they were building my house out in Agate Beach back in 2010. And, and they had these big, big rebar screws coming up, whatever the bolts, something. You know, I'm obviously a builder. These big old guys on all four corners. I was like, whoa, what are those? You know, and, and the thing was, and they said, these are hurricane ties. 
They're all four corners. It's kind of a new technology in that past like, two decades, you know, and it keeps the house from sliding off the foundation. Houses have just slid off the foundation. I was like, thanks for putting those in, guys. Thumbs up, you know. Took a picture of them, selfie, hurricane die, you know. Theology. What if those builders say, yeah, hurricane ties. If a hurricane ever hits here, it's not gonna touch your house. No, that's not true. Jesus even said, the rains came down and the wind beat upon two houses. The one that was built on the foundation and the one that was built on the sand. Neither were protected from the storm. One stood, one fell. And if you, and so we're studying this. So yesterday I was a grouch, all been out of shape. Read some, and I did the right thing, by the way. I went to Hebrews, read the devotional, and I just kept going. I didn't give up, kept eating my coffee, you know, kept getting through it. And, and eventually I got here, and I was like, oh, Lord, that's right. You're doing stuff. So here's what we're gonna do today. Last week, I taught through the shortest chapter in Revelation, eight verses, chapter 15. I said I was gonna go back and do it again because I thought there was more on the table, but I'm not gonna do that. I don't have enough time. So I'm gonna read one verse out of chapter 15 and one verse out of chapter 16. The first verse in both chapters, we're gonna use them as bookends. Look at verse one of chapter 15. It says, then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. He sees this vision of these angels coming out of the temple with bowls. I like to envision them as a surgical team. It goes on in chapter 15 to say they're clothed in pure white, that they have gold sashes across their hearts, that they're pure, they're perfect. And can you imagine them coming out of the temple? And it says bowls, some of your versions say vials, but literally this would be a wide bowl, like a brazen bowl. The, the intention is, is that when the contents are poured out, it comes out quickly. Can you imagine a shallow, very wide saucer-esque bowl, as opposed to like a bottle where you're trying to get that ketchup out. Come on, wrath of God, you know, and it's just, this is gonna just, it's gonna be easy. Here they come. Now in chapter 15, it goes on to describe a, a song sung by tribulation saints and some angels chime in. Look at verse one of chapter 16. It says, then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. The angels come out. We see a little scene in chapter 15. And the Bible says that in the end, verse eight of chapter 15, that the temple fills with smoke and no one's allowed in the temple now, the place where God dwells, everyone's out. But a voice comes from the temple. This is God himself in the temple. And he gives the command do it. What? Do it. It's time. Because up until, only, only the Father knows the time. And there will be a day where he says, enough. My justice must be poured out. His justice will come. It will. Right now is the day of grace and salvation. It's the day of mercy and kindness and forgiveness. The kindness of God leads us to repentance. And there will be a day, though, when the nations are shook up in order to be woke up, in order to be taken up, and in order to be saved, and God is doing that right now, even in our lives. When you get shook down by your own mistakes and decisions, what's God doing? He's trying to get your attention. But here we see what I just want to envision as these angels, a surgery team. And within these bowls is heavy medicine. And he's about to take out the sickness of sin and the cancer of carnality. We get this image in our mind and we can think, yeah, when you go to the doctor to get something cut off, you ever think about going to the doctor to get something cut off? You're like, yeah, just cut half of it off. I'll save some money. You know, just cut half of it. I'll leave a little bit there. Just see what happens. You ever say that to the doctor? You know, when they're cutting the cancer out? Like, just do half. Do you ever offer the doctor help? Like, oh, you know, can I help out a little bit and save some money too on the you know, copay or what? You know, no, no. Here's what happens when you go to the doctor for surgery. Do whatever you gotta do. Something in there? Whatever you, when you go to the doctor and they go in there and looking for stuff, man, you usually tell them, if you see anything else weird in there, man, get that out too. You know, you see anything wrong? You, got, you need a permission slip? Like, get it. 
One time I was living in Southern Oregon, and I saw this, this little, like, thing develop on my forehead, this little crater. I still got it. It kind of came out of nowhere. I was like, what's that crater, that kind of hole? And so I looked, made my wife look at it. She's like, that is weird. And so we, you know, what do we do? And it's crazy. I don't know what it is to this day. Anyway, so, so I said, well, would, you, would you schedule me an appointment with a dermatologist? So she did. I said, hey, when you're doing this, make sure it's a dude. Just, you know, I like dude doctors better. Than, just because, you know, I'm a, just because they're, you know, full examination. It's going to happen. So anyways, so she put the doctor order together with Dr. Terry Smith, you know, at 7.45 a.m. at the Medford Clinic. And I, I roll over. Then I'm waiting in the waiting room. And they call me in. And I'm in Dr. Terry Smith's, you know, waiting room all gowned up, you know, ready to get inspected. And I'm reading the kind of uh, awards that Dr. Terry Smith has won over the years and all the things that, you know, he's done. And, and there's this one award for, like, climbing this mountain. And it was presented to Miss Dr. Terry Smith, you know. <laughs> And I'm just like, what? And I kind of, I was like, oh, all right, that's what we're doing, <laughs> you know? And, and Miss Dr. Terry Smith comes in, you know, and she's this, you know, this uh, professional doctor, but she comes in and she's got this gal working for her who's an intern at the college also. She's like 19 years old. And they come bubbling in, like, oh, what are we going to do? Let's go ahead and take your gown off, bro. And I'm like, ah, you know? And, And I remember, she's like, says you're a pastor. Oh, and they start talking about their church experience. And I'm just, you know, standing there, you know. And I used to go to church. Do you go to church? And, you know, they're talking to each other. And she's like, oh, you know what you should do? You should ask Pastor Luke if he'll do your wedding when you get married this summer. Luke, would you do my wedding? And I'm like, I don't have my calendar with me, you know. <laughs> but sounds good. Just do it. What are you doing? True story. And so Terry, she's, she's, pro, she's professional. And so she starts examining, you know all my moles and skin patterns and asking questions. You know, have you ever lived in California? You know, have you ever gone to Hawaii? Ever traveled to the sun? Every, anything, all those normal questions, you know? And, <laughs> and at the end, she goes, you know what? You're fine. That thing on your forehead, whatever, you're fine. And, and all your moles are fine. They all are part of the same family. She goes, I like them all. They're all good. You got this guy, and they're all, they're all friends. She said, except for this guy. And she points to the top of my left foot. She goes, I don't like him. He doesn't belong here. He's not part of the family. He's big, he's like a pirate. He's just, you know, he's like, what's he doing? And I remember I was like, okay, what do we want to do? She goes, well, here's our options. We can measure him, take some pictures, and come back in six months and see what he's done. I was like, or? She said, or we can just cut that sucker off and he'll be gone forever and we'll test him. And I said, why would we want to take pictures of him? <laughs> who, who would opt for that? Are you getting paid for this, you know? And I offered, I was like, do you want me to cut it off or do you want to? Like, we can rock, paper, scissors. I don't, you know. And so I opted. I said, cut it off. I don't want to measure anything. Get him out of here, you know. And so she pulled out a syringe and filled my foot full of something that made my skin rise up like a mountain. It kind of just peaked up. And then she pulled out a pack of razor blades from the dollar store, you know. <laughs> and she opened one up and she just went. I was like, what? You're going to just use a ra that? Okay. And so she just sliced it off right there, a bunch of skin, threw it in a little thing and tossed it out to somebody working in the lab and all came back just fine. Everything's fine. But my point is, I remember that story because when you go to the, uh, hey, anything else? You sure? What about this guy? What about that guy? Look at this. You, know, look at this. And you want the doctor to see and know everything and hear the Lord is saying, I'm sending the angels in haphazardly and without thought. No, no. Methodically, slowly, compassionately, empathetically. I'll say it. I'm, and I, I, I don't want to make God look different than he is, but almost, almost unwillingly. The Bible says that God takes no pleasure in the death of his saints or in the death of the wicked. He's, not, he's, ah, he's he actually is not willing that any should perish. And yet he's such a good God, you know what he will do? He will take care of it. One day, he will. He's more patient than we understand. He's also more just than we understand. When I read this yesterday morning, I was like, oh yeah, that's what God's doing in my life and in our world and around us right now. He's got a plan. I gotta get back on the horse. What am I doing? And I began to, okay, whew, I almost went down the black hole of chewing my coffee up on a Saturday morning, you know. And I mean, I changed everything instantly. Within 12 minutes, I was at the CrossFit gym working out. Within 12 minutes, I just got my light. Let's go, let's do stuff again. Did a memorial, 1 p.m., and worked all day and studied all night and watched the Toledo Boomers win the championship. I want you to read verse one of chapter 16 again. It says, then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out the bowls of wrath of God on the earth. I would point out this. 
This is different than general, generic tribulation. This is the wrath of God. This is intention, discipline. That being said, it is my persuasion that the children of God are not on earth to receive the wrath of God because the children of God have been saved because the Son of God already absorbed the wrath of God. This is the wrath of God. There are some believers who think that the church will be here. It's just, I don't think that's gonna happen. Just like when we go to war against another country, the first thing we do is we pull out our ambassadors. We empty out our embassy. Come on home, it's gonna get nar-nar. We're about to take justice back and we take all our people home. I think God's gonna extract the church, his people, before he enacts the wrath of God. You can wrestle with that on your own. That's what I believe. Look at verse two. It says, so the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worship his name. So now specifically this bowl is poured out and those who have worshiped the Antichrist, who have taken the mark of the beast, whatever it is, whatever technological advance or system for buying and selling, those people who've taken that, will themselves receive a foul and loathsome sore. Let me just say a few things. Most commentators connect the dots to the foul and loathsome sore to actually taking the mark of the beast. As if in taking that mark, the tattoo, the injection, the chip, the plant, the replacement, the tracer, the thing, whatever, oh, all of a sudden that technology, we didn't check it out and it actually causes this foul and loathsome sore. I don't know. Have you realized, though, that all the things that we have, all the 5G network and Wi-Fi and Internet, all the things, man, we're the guinea pig generation. We don't know how all this is going to impact us. And even then, it's going to be such a different mark of the beast, if you would. It makes sense to me. I heard a story recently back in the 90s of some um, scrappers who went to a scrapyard and they found an x-ray machine that had been thrown away and they broke it open and found the nuclear canisters there with the technology to do x-rays and they sold it to another junkyard scrapper who broke it open and these blue stones these like glowing blue cool little stones came out you know and thought they were real cool so they wrapped them up in napkins and gave them to their loved ones oh that's a cool stone right there and put it in their pocket you know and just weeks later going to the doctor I don't feel good you know and bones as brittle as you know, toothpicks and the worst, it's a true story, and the worst nuclear poisoning ever recorded in modern uh, medicine recorded because they didn't know what they were doing or what it was causing. And I don't know what it's going to be, but I would say this, and this is more important because we're not going to be there during this time. It, when you do things you shouldn't do, okay, you're going to get burned by whatever it is you've done. It's principle. It's a, it's a reaping and sowing principle. What you sow, you shall reap. It's just the way it is. I say that to say this, because a lot of people look at God as being a real mean God. Up in heaven with a bunch of lightning bolts just looking for some dummy. I told you not to step on that. You know, just whoops, I'm busting people, you know? And some Christians actually think that's a, you do that, God's gonna curse you. And I would just say this. You know what curses you when you sin? Your sin. Put the first lines of Jeremiah 2, 19 up here, would you? It's coming. It's gonna be there in a minute. Jeremiah 2, 19. I'll read it to you. It says, your own wickedness will correct you and your backsliding will rebuke you. This is a principle. And I want you guys to get this as Christians, especially when you suffer, because God, when you suffer, sometimes you are, oh man, God's doing, you know, and he's like, I didn't do anything. I'm gonna say that right now. God didn't do anything. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, can a man take fire to his chest and not get burned? The proverbial answer is no, you're gonna get smoked, bro. What'd you expect? Like, what did you expect? And I'm learning this. I'm learning this more and more as I grow in the Lord. It's like, Luke, Luke, you are a product of your actions. And if you do this, you're gonna get that. Let me give you one more proof text before we move on because we will run out of time. In the book of Genesis, chapters two and three, the Bible says that God provided for his kids everything they need. Kanye West just wrote a song about it. It's pretty good. Got everything we need. Everything we need. And what he said in the book of Genesis, he said, but when you eat the other fruit, the one forbidden fruit, when you eat that fruit, in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. You know what he didn't say? In the day you eat of that fruit, I'm gonna kill you. Like, what if he said that? Don't, I'll kill you. 
joke. You know, that's not Father God. That's the Godfather. <laughs> Two separate approaches to leadership. The Godfather could break your legs, you know. Oh, forget about it, you know. Father God says, oh, here's the deal. That tree, it'll burn you. It'll, it just, it's just, it'll burn you. Don't do it. You don't need to do it. There are things in this world, when you do them, that will bless you. They'll bless you. Every single stinking time, there are things in this world that will burn you. Every single stinking time. Principles. And so when it says here in verse two, the first went out and poured out his bowl of, earth, of wrath on the earth and a foul and loathsome sore came upon all the men who had the mark of the beast. Man, you take the mark of the beast? By the way, just parenthetically, and we'll talk about this later, nobody will accidentally take the mark of the beast without allegiance to the beast. Nobody. Some people say, it's a, it is a, it's a technological, you have Wi-Fi? Oh, it's the mark of the beast. You know, I was like, no. The mark of the beast is a stance foundation, a conclusion, a, a theological conclu conclusion to worship the beast. It's going to be an offense. Antichrist means instead of Christ. I'm just going to have this choice, this lifestyle, this idea, and it will be associated with a mark. Okay, so a lot of Christians freak out. Like, Man, we got we to gotta make sure nobody accidentally take, you're not going to, nobody's going to accidentally do nothing. Okay, it'll be willful and purposeful. Moving on, check this out. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it became blood as of a dead man. And every living creature in the sea died, verse four. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and the springs of water and they became blood. Whoa, stop right there, eyes up here. This is reminiscent of the Exodus plagues. As Moses told Pharaoh, hey, let my people go. If you don't, everything's gonna turn to blood. And he said, well, I'm not gonna. He's like, well, dude. And everything turned to blood. Can you imagine though, we already saw in the book of Revelation that one third of the ocean was cursed, okay, one third. Now here, all 100% become blood in the springs and rivers of the, of the earth. Not only would the, this is, we're, we're on the coast, we read this differently, we're like, whoa, dude, the ocean's right there, that's our livelihood, that's crazy. Can you imagine the smell, the dead, everything dies, everything in it dies. 70% of our oxygen right now on planet earth comes from the ocean. It doesn't come from trees. It comes from plant life, marine life, plankton, all that dead. And this would be, Jesus said in Matthew 24, unless the days of the great wrath of God were shortened, nobody would survive. Like this, I'm, I'm saying this is at the end. And it's the gnarliest. Now you might be sitting here going, I don't like that. Let's just be honest. Anybody like this? Let's just be human for a second. I don't like it. I don't like it. I'm not saying it's wrong, but I don't like it. And so the next two verses, an angel pipes up. And an angel clarifies. See, angels know a lot. They've been around the whole time. The Bible actually says that angels have been watching and learning. And the main thing that they're confused about is you guys. They're like, why would you choose Luke? Hey, Lord, did you see Luke? Have you... You're, you're gonna give him grace? What? And the angels are tripping. And so now when this wrath is poured out, verses five and six, and I heard the angel of the waters saying this, you are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you've judged these things, for they've shed the blood of the saints and the prophets, and you've given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. Verse seven, and I heard another from the altar saying, even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Stop right there, eyes up here. These two voices come in as if to underscore what God is doing is right, even though it's hard, even though it's not fun. Someone's gonna challenge you. You really think God's gonna do that? Say, why in the absolute world would he not? Tell me one reason why he should not. These angels say, oh, they spilled the blood of the prophets and the saints. You know what they're gonna get now? Blood. You want blood, you're gonna get blood. That's what, I mean, it's, it's just, isn't it? You wanna see everybody die, everybody forgot? God's gonna give you blood then. Which by the way, hell bothers me. I don't like hell, I don't like the idea. It should bother you too. It should mess with you. It's true. And I try to help people understand what hell is amongst other things. Hell is for sure the absolute absence of the presence and goodness of God. 
for sure, amongst other things. The goodness and presence of God. Because I meet atheists and haters, and they say, I don't want anything to do with your God. I was like, dude, eventually you're going to get exactly what you want. And it's going to be called hell. I don't want God. Ah, careful. In the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. And that his right hand are pleasures forevermore. He's the best. He's in his, he's the best. This is why we do what we do. We try and get people closer to Jesus. So I want you to read the Bible and come to morning worship. Just touch him. Get in his presence. And these angels are looking around and the angels say, man, these guys, all they do is kill everybody. And all you've ever done is give angels with voices and you've given witnesses with miracles and 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams and you've just been patient, 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 patient. These angels are freaking out. Like, God, when are you gonna? Oh, righteous and true. This is, it says in, in verse four, it says, because you have judged these things. The word judge there literally means careful analysis. That should make you happy. The Lord's looking. I've been a part of various legal proceedings. Courtrooms, big cases, little cases. And I always wonder, does, does anybody know what they're doing? <laughs> Forgive me, but that's what I wonder. Like, just, one time I was at this one particular case and, and things were getting weird. And, and the judge kicked all the jury out. I was on the stand. And, and no joke, I, I think it was Judge Branford. I love Judge Branford. And, and he spun around. And on, in the back there, they have all those fake books behind the, the judge thing, you know, all those fake books that don't mean anything, right? Those aren't fake books. He, no joke, like looked at him, grabbed one. I was like, what? This must be where he keeps his secret weapon, you know, <laughs> like a fake book. And I'm not kidding. I was so, he, he pulled out, he's like, he starts looking through and he like, okay, okay, and he closed it and put it back. And he said, okay, we got to do things a little differently. I was like, what did you, and I wonder sometimes, like, did anybody really know what they're doing? This angel says, the Lord has righteously judged. I say that because dum-dums like me, you know how much I know? Very little. Just little snapshots. When you look at the culture, they go, oh, I'm, I'm pretty smart, you know, watch CNN, you know, I'm pretty smart, you know. <laughs> we don't, the Bible says we see dimly. Judgment, that's beyond us. This angel knows way more than you do, and our God is supreme beyond all measure, and he says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna judge the world. And this angel's like, yeah. He has carefully analyzed everything. It will be fair. Everyone will get exactly what they want and what they deserve, to be with the Lord or to be separated. You can take this to the bank, Christian, okay? It's, God has not asked you to be the judge. That's not our, we're not very good at it. We're weird. The other angel says, righteous and true your judgments. Check this out. We're just gonna go to verse 11 and we're done. Then the fourth angel, he poured out his bowl on the sun and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues. Well, this is crazy. And they did not repent and give him glory. Now this next angel pours out his bowl and everyone gets burned by the sun. Now we're Scientists trying to figure out how. Like, oh, it must be a supernova, bro, you know, and flares happening in a big storm, which, you know, could actually precede the events of the whole world getting burned up with fervent heat, like Peter says, and supernovas when a star begins to die and everything changes, and, and it could cause the temperatures to rise in people, or it could be more supernatural than that, where it's just God just judging people. It is interesting, though, that the sun, it's the same light, this, the sun is the same light that melts ice, just grows flowers, produces life and newness. It's that same sun that cracks and hardens clay. The sun doesn't change. It's the same sun. It's the objects that it hits. One, or the other. one is going to soften and grow. Okay, one is going to harden and crack. This group here, they're torched and they're smoked. Ah! So what do they do? Do they soften and repent? They harden and crack and they begin to blaspheme the Lord even more. Throughout we're gonna, the rest of the chapter, every plague, the response is the same. Blasphemy and not repenting. To blaspheme somebody, to commit blasphemy literally means to blame them, which is interesting. Just chew on that. Blaming others for what's going on in your life. You ever do that before? Man, if you would, you know, you're all messed up and things are going bad for you and you try and blame somebody. Here they're blaming God for their life. That what? And so God gives them another, another bowl. The sun's interesting. 
in, in where it's at perfectly? Did you know that if the sun was 1% closer, just 1% closer than it is to planet Earth, the entire Earth would be scorched, except Newport. <laughs> Newport would actually raise to 70 degrees. <laughs> Everyone else, dead. We would have a pleasant day, it'd be awesome. Newport, and we're just kidding, kidding. Don't write that down. <laughs> Somehow, though, some way, Carl Sagan, the renowned astrophysicist who didn't believe in God, he was agnostic at best, he proposed years ago before he died at the beginning of his studies, he said, you know what? In order to have a perfect ecosystem of life, you only need two criteria, two things only, for a planet to produce life. He said, number one, you need a star, a sun an energy source, you need a star. And then number two, you need a planet that is exactly proportionately the exact distance from that star. And if you just have those two things, man, life is possible everywhere. And so he then went on to conclude that there was a septillion planetary systems with life-giving planets. Septillion, a septillion is a big number, million, billion, trillion, quadrillion, sectillion, septillion, a big number. So that's how many. Then they sent, this is back in the 60s, then they sent a bunch of probes out into space to get some energy and data and resource from all of the activity happening in space. Guess how much stuff they found out there? Nothing, silence. It's like, it's so quiet, it hurts my ears. It was so, and so they stopped. And so Carl Sagan, some of his thoughts were rejected. And now check this out, I'm not trying to bore you guys with this. Now they have deduced that there are over 200 specific scientific criteria necessary, all of them together. You can't have one without, you gotta have all 200 and more perfectly balanced in order to have a planet that actually produces life. It doesn't go into chaos every nine months or become like Venus where it's 900 degrees hot and then negative 700 degrees cold every, you know, it's like those are pretty, those are pretty big variables. Planet Earth, they, they call them, by the way, the Goldilocks borders, where it's not too hot, not too cold, it's just right. The axis of the Earth, the gravitational pull, Jupiter and Venus, what they do with it, all this stuff. I say all that because we're theologians, and I wanna know that my God created all this. He did all this. This isn't just chaos, hypothesis. The Bible says, no, all of this is ordered. God knows what he's doing. And so when I was in my funk yesterday, Forgot all this stuff. And I read, I was like, oh, wow. This is a prophecy of the future. God's gonna do these things. That's gonna help me know what I'm supposed to do today. All right, all right, all right. And I changed my mojo, changed my, changed my direction. This is what we're doing here today. Just a few more verses and we're done, guys. These guys didn't repent. Two more verses. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness. And they nod their tongues because of the pain. These guys also blaspheme the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. Again, reminiscent of the Exodus plagues when God poured darkness upon Egypt. The Bible says in the Exodus that God made it so dark. You should check this out. So in Egypt, it was so dark, they could feel the darkness in order to get Pharaoh to let the people go. Can you imagine feeling the dark? Here it says that he's pouring out the darkness and it's almost like it's kept specifically in the kingdom of the Antichrist, as if it's not gonna be worldwide, but just in a specific place. I don't know the way it's worded is, is, could go either way. But it's so dark that the people not only feel the darkness, they feel the pain from the darkness and they gnaw their tongues. I mean, I just imagine, how, I don't know, how dark is that? You thought daylight savings was bad. And it was, by the way. It's horrible. <laughs> so bad. I'm, I'm going to be taking a nap in like 20 minutes. You watch. <laughs> but can you imagine being so dark? So they gnaw their tongues, so their tongues don't even work. And what does it say? Last verse we read? They blaspheme God still. <laughs> They're so, somehow able to curse God. And they take his name in vain. We're going to see that at the very last verse in chapter 16. They take his name in vain. Interesting thing about taking the Lord's name in vain. Nobody in our culture, nobody in any culture takes Muhammad's name in vain or Buddha or Confucius. Isn't it interesting when people mention the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ, as a curse word? It's interesting, it's interesting. No one says, ah, oh, Buddha. 
you know, oh, Buddha, darn it, you know. It's like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So think about it. It's a condition of your heart. I'm going to have Pastor Ryan come up and lead us in a song, and, and we're going to take communion now. Guys, I meant to teach the whole chapter, and there's, there's some red letters in verse 15. I'm going to read them to you. Jesus says to that group then and to us now, behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Here's what I want us to consider as we prepare to take communion and leave today. Jesus said, I'm coming, guys, like a thief in the night. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments on. Lest when I show up, you'd be naked. And the idea there is a spiritual nakedness. The armor of God. Helmet of salvation. Breastplate of righteousness. Belt of truth. Sword of the spirit. Shield of faith. Boots of the gospel. Stay armored up. Man, I woke up this morning. I, I didn't sleep right last night. It was weird. And I woke up just kind of all backwards again. And I went downstairs and was making my coffee. And Sally Walker, she goes to church here. She lives in Corvallis. And she just posted something on Facebook like a minute earlier. It was all about the armor of God and staying armored up. And, and the Lord was speaking. He was like, man, stay in the fight, Luke. Stay in the fight. You're a fighter. You're a leader. You're a warrior. This is what you do. And and I want to exhort us here today. Man, God's got the whole end figured out. That's not your problem. Like, don't, you might go home and be like, oh, let's figure this out. You know, don't figure nothing out. He's got it. But what you do need to figure out in your doxology, that is your response to what you know, to what you've studied, because you don't want to go apostate to drift. And all this is found and exemplified in the, the table of communion. We're going to take communion right now. And we're going to take the body of Christ and the blood of Christ, the bread and the cup, and we're going to say, thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness to me. Even in my faithlessness, you remain faithful still because you cannot deny yourself. It's a promise. If you've been all messed up, if you're outside, you've, been, you've got a hard heart, you've been a grouchy dad, a grouchy husband, haven't been a good son or daughter, You're so blessed because he loves you regardless. And he offers you today. He says, you today, repent. These then, man, it's going to get uncomfortable for them. And they don't repent. Maybe you're uncomfortable here this morning. It's just uncomfortable. Like, and you did it to yourself. <laughs> it's your fault. And the point is, adjust. Kneel break bread, take communion, repent, and then keep going. It's not over. You're wrestling. It's a battle. We're wrestling right now, man. Short time. One more round to go. And as you take communion, rejoice in your Savior, our prize fighter. He bled on a cross. The first things out of his mouth were, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's what it's all about. We're witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. And so as we take communion, we do so to the glory of God. And so our lives might be for the good of others. When you come to the table, you'll notice the communion is set up a little different today. The communion is stacked. There are two cups. You're going to grab both cups at the same time. The bottom cup has the bread already in it. We put a cup on top of that and put the juice in there. So that way everyone doesn't get to share Corona up at the front. You're welcome. And so, so grab your stack and go back to your chair. And I'm going to ask you to pray with me right now. Would you bow your heads? Father, in Jesus' name, we come to the table now examining ourselves and proclaiming your death until you return. And in Jesus' name, Lord, we ask that you would do business with us at the table as we take the elements back to where we sit. And we would confess our sins. And we would receive once again the mercies, the graces, the goodnesses, the, the long sufferings of the Lord. 
And before we come and take communion right now, if you're here this morning and you need help, man, you need help from the Holy Spirit. You got an addiction? You got something, you got an attitude? You got, you got an illness? You're just getting beat up? Just getting throttled right now by the enemy. He doesn't want you to reach out. He wants you to keep it a secret. He wants you to just suffer. And yet the Lord says, come to me and I will give you rest. If you're here and you are, you need help, something right now, you have it on your mind. Would right now you begin to agree that the Lord is your helper? And right now, if you need help, would you raise up your hand high to your Savior? Lord, would you extend help to those that are fighting battles right now? Would you break chains? Help us, Lord. You need help? Raise up your hand. You don't like where you're at? You don't like what's going on? You need help? Lord, we call out to you. Raise up your hand. Lord, would you do battle for us? Would you fight? We call upon you. We just studied a group that would say no to you. They would blaspheme you, Lord, under pressure, but we don't want to be that group. So have your way, Lord. Heal marriages even now. Put your hand up if you need healing in your marriage. Just ask him for help. Lord, do work. You're real. We believe it. Do miracles. Even as Jesus, you died in order to come back and produce fruit. And if there's death here, Lord, just produce fruit out of it. Thank you, Lord, for your great grace and your mercy. You can put your hands down. Lord, as we come to the table, would you be honored? We love you because you first loved us. We do this in Jesus' name. Amen.